Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So did you notice the catchy title for today? <laughs> Sex, Lies, and Toltec Wisdom? Well, I... Pro- I promise you, we are going to get to all of those themes, but maybe not in that order. <laughs> in fact, where I'd like to start, since we're, we're using a different book for the rest of this month, uh, might be The Promise. The book is The Voice of Knowledge, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. You might know him from The Four Agreements. He's the guy that did The Four Agreements. But let me uh, read from the, the promise, so to speak, of this book. He says, thousands of years ago, throughout southern Mexico, the Toltec people were scientists and artists who formed a society to explore and conserve the spiritual knowledge and practices of the ancients. Toltec knowledge arises from the same essential unity of truth as all the sacred esoteric traditions found throughout the world. Though it is not a religion per se, it honors all of the spiritual masters who have taught before. While it does embrace spirit, it is most accurately described as a way of life and distinguished by the ready accessibility of happiness and love. So, so that may be the, the description, but uh, I think that's the promise, too. I think if we follow through this month with, uh, with what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be learning, that we will get to experience more happiness and more love. That's my intent, anyway. So where do we start? You know, the book starts at an interesting place. It may be Toltec wisdom, but guess where it starts? In the Garden of Eden. And although uh, Ruiz has his own version of it, I thought it would be fun to actually go back to the Bible and just read from Genesis. Because here he says is a very interesting piece of insight. Here he says is where all of our troubles start. (laughs) So this is from Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord good took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And, and then the Lord God went on to talk about this uh, interesting thing. Uh, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so we get a little discussion of how Eve came about. See, I told you I'd work sex in here. <laughs> but I think what's interesting, as soon as he talks about how, how Eve was created, he says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Then into chapter 3. Um, Eve had the opportunity to meet with an interesting fellow hanging out around the tree of knowledge, the serpent, you'll remember. And he is counseling her. He says, Madam, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. You will know good from evil. 
Well, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, well, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were indeed opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Ruiz says, the trouble we're in right now, the, the, the trouble that each of us feels about blending in with the world, the, the trouble that we have just living in our own skins stems from this great lie. And in fact, he says that the lie extends to so much of what we believe to be true, that, that perhaps as much as 90% of what we believe to be true is not true in any meaningful sense, but rather, um, if you will, beliefs of convenience, beliefs that we have built up over time and handed down maybe from the original Adam and Eve, that truly our lives as we know them are mostly lies. So if we're going to start here, I have a joke about lies. <laughs> a busload of politicians is returning from a national convention. They're driving down a country road when, all of a sudden, the bus runs off the road. It crashes into a tree in an old farmer's field. The bus catches fire. An explosion rings out into the night. Well, the old farmer, roused from his sleep, comes out to investigate. He looks over the scene. It's horrible. He thinks hard. He finally decides what to do, and with a resigned and sad face, he proceeds to dig a graves for the bodies. A few days later, the local sheriff comes out. He sees the crash bust and asks the old farmer, what happened? Where are the politicians? The old farmer replies, well, I, I, I buried them all. The sheriff comments, oh my God, all dead? The old farmer replies, well, some of them said they weren't dead, but you know how you can believe those politicians. <laughs> Do you see how we categorize people? How often, whether it be politicians or whether it be teenagers, whether it be what old people are like or what young people are like, do you see how it's not enough that we just observe the facts that are happening, but we begin to reach conclusions about them? That we begin to believe and build up little beliefs around people that are like that and people that show up that way and people who address that way and marriages that play out that way. It's like just about everything on this planet. We observe the truth of it, but do we stop there? Do you see the trouble here? We don't stop there. Then we build a story about it. Well, Ruiz says that it is the stories we build about our observations that constantly get us in trouble. They get us in trouble every single day on the planet because we have begun to believe that the stories are the truth. We have begun to believe that the, the tales that we told ourselves, the observations that we've made and then embellished or, or that other people have told us the story and, and we have bought into it to the extent that we believe all kinds of nonsense. That in fact our life is built up of fibs on the top of lives, on the top of embellishments. <laughs> and, and he says, well, it's no wonder we have such a trouble in the world because we are so quick to judge. 
And where do we start? Well, sadly enough, uh, back to the Bible again. And they observed that they were naked and they were ashamed. Now, God didn't suddenly turn up or down the temperature in Eden, right? There didn't suddenly, after biting the apple, there wasn't a need to wear clothing, right? And for any of you who were uh, out last night on the naked bike ride, I I hope we all realize, yeah, only in Portland, I know. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me. No, honestly, there was a well-organized naked bike ride last night. Okay, so it's not like suddenly... In in any way, we needed to wear clothes, right? I think why we suddenly in the Garden of Eden needed to wear clothes is we started doing the comparison thing. We started thinking, oh my gosh, do I look okay this way? Is there some part of me that maybe isn't good enough? Or is there there's something about me or, or sex or, or the way people look without their clothes that just isn't cool anymore? Do you see, we start with the judgment right with ourselves. And if you have met, especially I would say in today's society, any, any young m- women with eating disorders, you, 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 it's like you tumble to the fact like a load of bricks realizing what we have done to ourselves as a species. People have to look a certain way or they're just nothing. People have to behave a certain way or they don't count. People have to show up and have the right skin tones and and, and speak in a certain way. It's like if you don't match this, this criteria, there is something wrong. And our young people, of course, they internalize that. They, they want to be on the side of, of what's good and what's right. And, and I would say that the main lie back in the Garden of Eden wasn't that the eating from that tree would surely kill people. It's that it was the tree of wisdom. The lie uh, covered over by the fact it's the tree of wisdom of good and evil, right? Well, is just good and evil somehow is that wisdom of you being able to decide what's right and wrong? Does that make it wisdom with that, with that big W, right? It's like each one of us has our own opinions and our own ideas of what's right for us. And that's good and that's fine. But how often do we end it there? Aren't we only too willing to say, and what's good for me, obviously, A is good for the people closest to me, right? For my children. And isn't that the course of uh, uh, the source of so much trouble in teenagers' lives, right? It's here that someone wants to finally break out with some independence and express their own opinions and their own ways of being in the world. And there, there's mom and dad with their arms folded going, well, you know, that's just going to get you in trouble. <laughs> well, you know, that's just crazy. When I was your age, can you imagine how horrible it is for a teenager to hear, when I was your age? Well, well, when we were their age, you know, it was a thousand years ago. So, so why, why do we need to have our opinions expressed as though it were truth, as though what's good for me is good for everyone else? It started back in that garden. It's almost like the serpent invited us to start dividing the world into pairs of opposites, right? Something happens. Well, is it good or is it bad? Not just did it happen. Is it good or is it bad? Something else happens. Oh my gosh, shouldn't that have been different? 
I was observing that happening over here and it came out much better. If only these people realized that they could do it this way and this way and this way and this way and then it would be fine. They just need to do it my way. <laughs> the whole world would just be so lovely if everybody was, Sharon's nodding. <laughs> and we are going through some pain right now, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> okay, you get the idea, but I would like to suggest to you that this is pretty endemic. Most of what we believe to be true is either based on tradition, something that's been handed down to us either orally or written through, normally through our parents or, or, or through the educational system. So, so it's either been a, a kind of a traditional belief that's handed down or it's something that you might consider um, propaganda. Uh, I mean, it's intentionally meant to sell things to you or to create a way of being. And so it's no surprising that young people, that we as young people, grew up with all kinds of notions about how things should be. And then when we come up against something that doesn't match that, that's where our stress comes up. That's where our pushback at life comes back. That's where we just get all upset and bent out of shape and we want to get a different job, we want to get a different spouse, we get want to get a different life our life, our specific life, with my opinions expressed as the truth. <laughs> but don't you see, seeking this is just adding another level to the conventional lie that it all started with. And so my belief is, for us to be successful this month, if we, if we really want to find true knowledge, I don't think we can associate knowledge with good and evil. I don't think we can associate knowledge with opinion. And that was the lie. That was the true lie that the serpent had was in claiming that the tree of discernment of good and evil, the tree basically of what? Of judgment was wisdom. Now later this, we, this month, we're gonna talk about some specific tools for regaining your power, from really understanding truth from the inside out, knowing what is true for you as an individual and being able to express it in a way that will both uplift your values and your intentions and also not overly piss off other people, right? <laughs> I, I mean, as much as I would like to think that, I mean, here I'm doing this talk this Sunday, right? I should be like you're naked, right? Aren't, aren't there things we would like to do that seem like an honest expression of ours that just won't fit in with other people? And so I believe we can learn how to express ourselves and fit in to the degree that that is important to us. That we can get better at understanding our true intrinsic value in the world, right? Not constantly putting ourselves down by judging ourselves as inferior, right? And that's what we're trained to do from the get-go. I can't sing well enough. I can't dance well enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not smart enough. All of us from our childhood right on up were taught that something was wrong with us. Well, that's where we're going to start we're going to put aside those ideas of not good enough, that, that opinion that the world might have that you look wrong or you act funny or whatever it is. We're going to work on putting that aside first. Then we're going to work on really allowing the truth that's in with each one of us, our, our uniqueness, our, our personal beauty to shine. So that's what we have to look forward to for this month. But I got to tell you, we got to start down in the muck. I think we have to start a little bit with the lie part. And I think with awareness, 
and some clarity, it will begin working in us uh, almost in the background. But this week, your homework is to become aware of when your mind is going from facts into opinions and judgments. Now, let me give you a few examples. For instance, a fact would be that my husband leaves his clothes around the house a lot. It's just a fact. A judgment would be, Daniel's messy. (laughs) Do you see the difference? The word messy has all kinds of implications with it, doesn't it? It means that I think he should behave differently. It means that my opinion should, of course, be the appropriate one for the house, and all the clothes should be picked up. But do you see how that tramples in just the slightest way, and yet important way, his rights of self-expression? Now, we may indeed need to work out a system by which both of our ways of living is accommodated and we're at peace with it and we we love each other for it. But I got to tell you, it doesn't start with me calling it messy. (laughs) Another example, a fact would be that my mother's mother, my grandmother, was five foot one feet, five feet one inches tall. A judgment would be my grandmother was short. Do you see the subtlety with this? And I tell you, when people talked about my grandmother, she didn't, they didn't say, oh, and she's five foot one. They said, she's really short. (laughs) But do you see, short implies not good enough. Short implies, right, that if she was taller, she'd be able to reach reach higher. She'd, She'd, you know, look slimmer in beautiful gowns and I mean it fits into that whole stereotype of of feminine beauty of being what what do they say nine tenths legs and right it's like these are crazy ideas and yet and yet every person here if they saw my grandma especially the way she tended to dress you'd say oh my gosh what a short woman We're used to it. We're programmed to it. The judgments come out 99 times a minute, and and we're okay with it because we're used to it. All right, one more example. A fact would be we live on average 80 years or so. A judgment would be, and I like this one, a judgment would be if you're in good health and getting close to 80, your judgment might be life is short. But what if you're 80 and in poor health? You might say, life is way too long. I wish it were over. Do you see how all of these things are not based on reality? All of these so-called judgments, the facts simply are people tend to live a certain span of time. The spin we put on it, it's too short, it's too long, it's too hard, it's too easy. The spin we put on it is what gets us into trouble. And then we upscale it by passing it on to our friends and our colleagues and our children by saying, and and what I believe, of course, is good for you. Of course, that's the truth of the way things are. Boys are rough and tough and girls are delicate and sweet right? It's like everything we've built up over the centuries, over time. Is it true? So this week, homework is simple. I think I want you to notice what's coming out of your mouth in particular. And is it a fact or is it judgment? Is it just a simple observation of the way things are? 
or is it a judgment? Now, you might say, well, how can I tell the difference? First of all, notice when you put people in categories, almost every case where you put someone in a category, you're making, there's a judgment that goes with that category. So just be really aware of saying things like, well, women are just like this, or children are just like this. Teenagers are always like that. People, uh, well, well, like my joke, right? Politicians are the way politicians are. So those, by definition, there's going to be some judgment with it. So take a look at that. And then the other one, I think anytime you uh, either say out loud or in your head are wishing that someone else had said something different or behaved in some different way, again, you are judging that their behavior has been incorrect. And, and I'm here to tell you, each one of us, as odious as our opinions might be, um, are allowed to have them. It's, it's our God-given right to have our opinions and to have them speak for us. So let's take a look at those two things in particular. Notice when you're judging rather than just noticing the facts. I'm going to close today with a, a final quote from uh, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz and how he ends uh, this piece of the material. And then I'll close with a prayer. He says, when the human mind is mature enough for abstract concepts, we begin to qualify everything as right or wrong, good or bad, beautiful or ugly. We create a story about what we should be. We put our faith in this story, and sadly, the story becomes our truth. This story, even if it's full of lies, to us it's perfect. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. The story is not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's just a story. But with awareness, we can begin to change our own story. Step by step, we can begin to tr return to our own spiritual truth. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love, one joy. Truly, the universe is made up of just one thing, and out of that one thing, the variety of, of everything is created. This is the, the promise of all time, that, that even as we are separate, we are creating a unity of sorts, a unity of consciousness in this universe. And I know that means me. I know that as I look around in my world, what I see is just a reflection of myself. I, I see more of God's children. I see the, the ability to be and to do without judgment. I simply recognize the good in all. Now, it may not always appeal to me. It may not always be my choice, but I recognize it as a choice. And as it is true for me, I know that capability is true for each person in this room, that each person here can, if they choose, put aside some of the, the petty judgments and the, the, the less than useful ways of approaching other people in situation that is so laden with opinion. I know that each one of us, should we choose, can begin just to noticing the facts and noticing our reaction to them. And so for this week and the week beyond, I, I speak my word for and about each one of us, accepting a willingness to question our own motives, to question our own thoughts, to be more aware of any judgments or, or opinions that we have and that we try to impose on other people. Just an awareness. This week, just an awareness. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for the openness in this room I'm grateful for God showing up as the, 
the unique and individualized center of that one life and that one love. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.